away and uh, they're enjoying an extended Christmas and New Year break. So, uh, God willing, we'll see them back with us next week as we uh, continue to uh, join together as uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, reaching out in this community with a great gospel message of salvation that Jesus has affected and performed for us uh, 2,000 years ago at Calvary. I was waiting on John's story there. Where's John? I thought you were going to say he caught the fish and there was a gold coin in the fish's mouth or something like that. I thought that was going to be the sort of the, um, the, the conclusion of the... Oh, the lost coin, that's it. That would be really special, though, wouldn't it, if the coin came out of there as well. It did happen, you know. It happened in the Bible. When they had to pay the temple tax, Jesus told Peter to go down and catch some fish, and the temple tax was inside the mouth of the fish, so praise God for that. Well, here we are, and uh, we are on the last day of 2017, and I was uh, thinking about uh, some of the books that you have uh, we might see advertised or poking around the place from time to time. And some of those books have titles like um, Seven Steps to a Better You. You've all seen those somewhere floating around the book sh- uh, bookshelf somewhere or on a news agents or Three Habits uh, That You Will Turn Your Life Around. These sort of you know, New Year's uh, Eve resolutions. I'm going to read this book and I'm going to put all these new things into place and it's going to change my life and it's going to bring me rest and peace in my life. And uh, particularly around New Year's, this is what tends to happen, isn't it? We get this uh, whole heap of plans and resolutions to get my life back in order and I get things back under control again and things are going to be going in the right direction. Well, I'm going to give you one of those talks today as well. And I'm going to give it to you in really simple. It's going to be one key for rest in 2018. So forget about the seven steps and the three new habits. It's the one key for rest in 2018, something nice and simple. And uh, I'm going to just read the Bible uh, to get a passage again. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to do Barb's. If you can pray after I've read the passage, just for God's illumination, for our, uh, as we just um, come through that now. So if you've got your Bibles, go to uh, Matthew chapter 11. And uh, we'll read from verses 25 to 30. Then I'll get Barbara to pray after that for us. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, and uh, he says this. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. Thanks, Babs.
cough too. Amen. Thanks, Barbara. Thanks for doing that. Um, my wife has just reminded me, we do have some uh, sermon outlines here. If anybody would like one, I'm going to give them to Chelsea. So just raise your hand and she'll quickly look around. If you want one, grab one. There's, I see that hand. Yep, I see that hand. Okay, we live in a world that does seem hectic and crazy busy, don't we? It's, um, it's at the same time, it's a world that's not only crazy busy, but it's also in a rapid development of all the mod cons we could ever want to make life easier uh, at the same time. Each of us generally exists with more than 100 waking hours each week, but that still doesn't seem enough time to get everything done we want to get done, does it? We can seem to start the week with a plan, but then by Wednesday, the plan's normally gone up in smoke. It doesn't take too long at all, and a couple of days later, and things haven't quite gone according to the plan. And as I said, all this is happening in the midst of an age where there's all types of time-saving devices now being developed. Uh, with your smartphone, you can Google uh, prices on a new electric knife or a new battery drill in just a few minutes, and that can save you all this running around town to sort of, where will I get the best priced drill or where will I get the best priced electric knife? Uh, it can save potentially hours and hours of driving and getting those prices. But still, despite those apps we may have on our smartphone, all those things at our fingertips, we still feel overrun by life despite those time-saving devices. I can actually remember the days of no mobile phones. Now, for some young people, they're going to say, when was that? Was that like 100 years ago? No, it wasn't 100 years ago, but I used to... I'd go out and work for four or five hours and there'd be no phone hanging off your pocket or anything like that at all. You'd come back at lunchtime and you'd get a few messages from the good old landline that would come through and um, you'd deal with that and uh, there you go. But today we can't go anywhere without our mobile phone. Now that's not a bad thing, not, not saying that at all. It's very handy what we have in a, in a mobile phone. Uh, it's just highlighting how even with all the modern conveniences we have today, we still don't um, seem to be able to get on top of life and actually get things organised. It's, uh, it's just the way it is. Uh, also then we struggle and strive and seem to be banging our head up against a brick wall in life at times. You might go into a conversation, you might go into a situation and as best you know, you have no hidden agenda as you go in to meet with this person or have this conversation or go into this situation. I just try and go out there and fit in with everybody else. I just try and do the right thing so we'll all get along with peace and harmony. But even in that, things sometimes go pear-shaped. You've approached it with the right motivation and the right attitude, but it feels like sometimes I'm banging my head against a brick wall in futility because I've done this as best I can, but I'm still finding this is despairing and difficult and challenging in life. Uh, and part of this hecticness and this busyness and this futility becomes very exhausting after a while as well. It becomes really exhausting. Both physically and mentally, we can feel really washed up at times with life. Sometimes it's situation after situation or discussion after discussion and I feel like I'm carrying this massive burden. I feel like I can't shake it. It feels like it's just getting larger and it's sort of compounding all about me and I get exhausted. I become exhausted. I become physically and mentally sort of washed up and I'm feeling totally drained. That's how life can be sometimes. Well, Jesus, the Son of God... Uh, lands in the world 2,000 years ago, and he's finding the same thing there as well. Jesus is amongst the people who are firstly rejecting him as the Son of God, and then they're trying to work and climb their own way to God and find their own way to him without going through Christ. And because of this rejection of who Jesus is, their lives are now subjected to this futility of the world that we're in. 
So their life now becomes a burdensome task as they try and navigate their way through all these challenges and through all these difficulties. And that is always the way it is when we don't follow the maker's instructions, isn't it? There's always a level of frustration that comes with that. If you probably got some gifts last week from Christmas and try to put them together and get things organised and you didn't quite follow the maker's instructions, you probably come away with a bit of futility and a bit of frustration because you left out that one screw back on step number two, right back at the start, and the rest of the thing didn't quite come together from there and there's a level of frustration that comes with that. Well, let's look at how Jesus then deals with life in the futility lane. could be the fast lane, but it's probably the futility lane as well when we don't live with him and try and do things uh, on our own. Firstly, here we have Jesus uh, confronting this struggling in life and it's an invitation that he says, come to him. And he says that there in verse 28 of the passage we just looked at, come to me all who labour and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Now the true context of this invitation here is to come out of a works-based religious way of life to earn God's favour. If you read back sort of through prior this chapter of Matthew, uh, you would see there that Jesus has been going through a bit of a trial here with the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day. Uh, The high priests uh, did not like the way Jesus was opening up the truth about God at that particular time. Jesus has travelled from village to village, speaking the gospel and healing people. And he's continually encountered this, this religious system built up by the high priests. And it's become a system of laws and ceremonies that if performed to the letter will take away your sin and earn you God's favour. This is exactly what Jesus has been coming across. He's gone from village to village and coming across every uh, situation with many people. It becomes a performance-based lifestyle. The better you perform, the better your chances are of getting on the good side of God and he maybe will let you get into heaven. But here's what the people are struggling with as they go through that. What they're finding is they can't do it good enough. They can't be good enough for God. They actually can't seem to meet those standards or perform to those standards that are set before them. It's like the bar is set too high. And in a very real sense, that's exactly what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law did in that day. They kept raising the bar. They kept reinterpreting some of these laws and it seemed to just make things harder again because they were just building this system that was feathering their own nest and making it more and more difficult for people to earn, uh, to be, get right with God. In fact, the whole thing was becoming a system that was fruitless and futile and going nowhere. So with the people, this religious lifestyle was becoming a burden that was heavier and heavier upon them. Nothing seemed to work. It looked hopeless to them. How could they ever please a God like this? They were consigned to a life of hard labour religiously and no real hope of salvation at the end. And at the end of all that, their sin still remained. Sin could never be dealt with that way because sin was never designed by God to be dealt with that way by somehow doing enough good works or good deeds that you would actually take away um, your sin. This same sin also with its effects had brought futility into the world that we are now subject to. Uh, Jesus confronted this brokenness with his people, the frustration and the pointless lives they were living, this futile lives because of the brokenness of sin and the consequences that it was bringing. People, uh, Jesus saw this firsthand, people striving after something in this world that somehow would offer them meaningful, uh, meaningful lives or um, fulfilled lives, but they kept coming up short each and every time. They were trying to build their lives on something in this world that would never sustain them. 
It never could sustain them. It never will be able to sustain them. And perhaps some of them back there in this brokenness and these futile lives were thinking, if I could just gain more money, that would make my life a whole lot easier. And back in their day, they had a number of corrupt tax collectors, which is part of the Roman Empire, and they would come along and sort of just take more taxes off these ones as they just gathered up their finances, thinking this was where life was going to be. So it was futile. It was a broken world under the consequences of sin, and it was becoming a futile place to be. So from these devastating effects of sin, Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Come to me for salvation from sin. Come to me from salvation from the futility of this world. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden. Jesus offers this invitation. Come to me. And it's a gracious invitation here that Jesus makes for us. He follows that on though. He follows the word come in this passage and it follows with the word to take. The come is really vitally important for us as we seek to know Jesus' rest. But here Jesus also calls us to take as well. In verse 29 you see that. He says there, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Take my yoke, Jesus says. Take my yoke. What is a yoke? What is a yoke? Doesn't sound real sort of inviting, does it? Take my yoke. I guess if you replace the Y with a C, take my Coke, you might say, okay, I can do that, I can take the Coke. But what is a yoke? What's the yoke here that Jesus is talking about? A yoke is a wooden frame that was used to harness cattle or donkeys together in unison to pull a cart. It's like a wooden frame that you'd get the two cattle to sort of stand side by side and you would put this uh, yoke across their shoulders and they would be sort of combined together in this sort of fixed frame. So they were yoked together. And the whole idea here was that these animals were now in subjection to the driver of the cart or the master of the cart. They would be just pulled together with this wooden yoke and then they would be in subjection uh, to the driver or the master of the cart. If you want to see the, the, the sort of the, the picture there, there's two cattle standing side by side. There's this wooden yoke between them that's harnessed them together and there's reins going back to the driver or the master and he's actually directing and leading where these cattle pull this cart and where they go to. And the picture we get here with this is Jesus says, take my yoke. And so what he's saying is, come, come and be subject to me as your master. Come and be yoked to me as your sovereign master and your sovereign Lord. Come and yoke yourself to me in subjection to me as your Lord, as your sovereign master and allow me to direct your lives. That's the picture here that Jesus gives us here of this yoke as he calls us to be taking his yoke and placed upon him. He's saying if you want to find rest for your soul, if you want to find rest from the futility of this life, you need to join yourself to me as your Lord and Master and be subject to me. Learn from me, Jesus says. Allow me as your Master to guide and direct you into the rest for your soul. Allow my yoke that subjection of, of, of my lordship over your life to breathe new life into your weary soul and to lead you into rest. There's a great picture here of this also that Jesus brings of himself and it really is the picture of the nature and attitude as him, as our master in our lives. It's a great picture here. 
the masters or high priests of their day were not um, gentle or lowly in heart. The masters and high priests of Jesus' day, generally guys who were mean-spirited and very deceitful. They only, did, only got you to do things for them if there somehow was an advantage for, for them out of that situation. So the masters and the high priests of their day were difficult. They were hard to please. They were not gracious. They were not kind. But that's not what Jesus is here. When we see his disposition or see his attitude, he says, therefore, I am gentle and lowly in heart, he says there. Jesus knows our weaknesses. Jesus knows our failings better than we do. Way, way better than we do. He knows where we struggle. He knows where we are striving in life. And we get this great picture of a gentle and lowly Christ, lowly in heart, who is our master. I saw this beautiful picture of Christ here in John chapter 8, where actually he deals with a woman who's caught in adultery. Just follow through with me as I read this now. We look at the way Jesus deals with her in this situation. In uh, John chapter 7 there it starts in the last verse. They went, to his, they went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman's been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commands us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. It's a beautiful picture of Christ here in the way he deals with us. It's a glorious picture. It's quite conceivable that this woman was caught up in a world of grief and pain. Very conceivable. All of her sinful choices and the grief that others had put upon her had made life very difficult. She was probably living in a world of anxiety and a world of pain. This woman's been brought to Jesus. And she acknowledged him, as we see in that last verse there, as Lord and Master. But let's look at how Jesus deals with her in comparison to the crowds that how they deal with her. What do the crowds want? They want condemnation and they want more pain in her life. You might say they want justice as well, but that's what they're looking for. They're looking for condemnation and they're looking for more pain in her life, perhaps just to justify their own ungodly lives. If I can point out someone who's worse than me particularly, maybe that'll make me feel a little bit better about myself. But that's what they want. They want condemnation and they want pain, more pain in her life. How does Jesus treat her? Jesus doesn't condemn her. He restores her and brings rest into her life in a very, very challenging and wearing position that she finds herself in. See, this is the picture of Jesus. Jesus who is lowly and humble of heart. Jesus who knows our failures and our fears. 
This is the Jesus who cares for the wounded and the weak. This is the Jesus who wants to bring rest into our lives. But let's not uh, bypass what Jesus has done there as well. He hasn't overlooked the core problem of her life. He hasn't just sort of put a band-aid over her and said, okay, that'll do you right now. Jesus also does say to her, go and sin no more. Jesus understands that the main drama in her life is the sinful choices that she has made. See, this is the gracious master that Jesus is. And when we yoke ourselves to him in subjection to him as our master, he deals with us exactly as is required for us to find rest in our souls. You see, it's not enough just to come to Jesus. We also must take him as our Lord and master as well. Yes, we come, but we take him and we take his yoke to be subject to him as our Lord and our master. So we come to Jesus and we take his yoke. We become his uh, subjects. And it's here also that Jesus says we will find relief in our lives as well as we come to him and take him as our Lord and our master. It says there in the, the last part of verse 29 and 30, talks about this relief and this rest that we get. It says there at the end of verse 29, And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Relief is a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's a glorious thing when you have relief in your life. You know, when you're struggling in a relationship and you're having those countless conversations and you really do feel like you're banging your head against a brick wall because you're trying as hard as you can to try and work through a, a, a touchy situation, but it's intense and it's still hurtful and it seems like the conversations are going nowhere. The pain is still there. It's very challenging. But then a breakthrough comes. All of a sudden, we've actually reached a point of agreement. We've actually reached a point where we can agree upon something. And it's feeling like a burden's just been lifted off my shoulders. It's a relief when you can, only, when you can finally get some sort of breakthrough in those situations. Relief is a glorious thing. And this is what Jesus promises here, is rest and relief for our souls as we come to him and take him as our Lord and our Master. Again, the primary context here in this, re- this relief and rest for our souls is the salvation of our souls from God's judgment upon our sinful condition. And that is a sensational rest and relief that we can have. An amazing burden lifted off us is the guilt of sin because of what Christ has done. And Jesus can say this very well because he knows down the track that he will make a full and uh, final payment for sin and be able to give us that complete uh, rest and relief. But there's also another rest and relief, I think, that Jesus brings to us here and now as well. But what is that rest and relief that we experience here and now that Jesus wants us to have? Firstly, Jesus doesn't promise that our labours are over. Is that what it is, Lord? Are you going to take me away from all of my labours, all of my struggles, all of my challenges? Is it all going to go away? So life will now be just sort of a ride on a red carpet. Unfortunately, sometimes people will say that and they'll make a false promise of the gospel. If somebody comes to us and says, hey, if you become a Christian, your life will now be trouble-free and your problems all a thing of the past and you'll never experience another challenge for the rest of your lives, don't listen to that. Don't buy into that because it's just not true. That's not what the gospel's about. That's not the rest that Jesus here is talking about. Not the rest that you'll never have to labour again or never have to go through challenges again. 
Jesus, in fact, told his disciples, he said, in this life you'll have many trials and tribulations that you'll have to go through. So that's not the rest here that Jesus is promising. Our labours will continue on in this world. The rest that Jesus is talking about here primarily is a rest in our heart and our mind. These people here have experienced, um, where Jesus is talking to back then, a deep sense of guilt with their sin, a really deep sense of guilt. Jesus can promise rest here because ultimately he will take their sins to the cross and uh, die for them once and for all. This rest from guilt they will experience deep within their heart. It will be a freeing and a cleansing that they will know and experience that God has taken my guilt away and they will feel pure and right before God because of what Jesus has done. But something else they'll also get rest from will be the pain and anxiety of this broken and futility-subjected world that we live in. They will get rest from that. Here's what happens in that situation when it's like that. The gospel doesn't take away the pain and anxiety as such. It doesn't remove that away from us. And it's not unusual when things start to go wrong that we do feel pain and anxiety. That's the world we live in again. But what happens when uh, the gospel comes and is applied to our hearts and our lives is that we see our troubles, our pains, our anxieties, whatever it might be, in a whole new light, in a whole new context. We now see our pain or our troubles or our anxiety through the lens of eternity. We see it through the context here with an eternal perspective on life in mind as we look at these trials and struggles that we go through. And that changes everything when it comes to the rest that God calls us into. So yes, I will continue on with these labours and sometimes despairing uh, challenges. And it could be in trying to even win a family member to Christ which can be very despairing at times. Sometimes it seems like it's futile and it's worthless or useless. But with the eternal perspective and the rest that Jesus calls us into, it, doesn't, it is now, now no longer a worthless task that we enter into. We have an eternal perspective, so we keep working diligently by locking in for the long haul to see a brother or sister or mother or father or cousin or family member or friend, whoever it might be, a son or a daughter, to become a follower of Jesus. We have a different perspective that we can now take into the toiling that it may be or the despair that it may be to win this person over to be a follower of Jesus. This is the rest here that Jesus brings us into. It isn't a futile exercise that I'm now doing. I now have a bigger picture in mind. He brings rest out of turmoil, a rest that I can experience. Now, Paul the Apostle got this rest as well in Philippians. He says this, Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, Paul got the picture of this rest. Not so much the labours were taken away, but there's now a, a peace in their heart and a peace in their mind. That was the rest that they now could enter into. So as we think about New Year's Eve, When we think about this rest, here's the key for rest in 2018. For many of us, 2017 have probably experienced a number of troubles and anxieties through the year just gone by. If you look back, I'm sure every one of us could think of challenges or difficult times, probably troubling sins that we haven't properly dealt with and they just keep on plaguing us. 
Maybe we've had to deal with the consequences of those sins and maybe we've had to deal with grief that's been brought into our life because of damaged relationships and the tensions between us. 2017 has been like that for all of us in some degree or another. Well, let me tell you something about 2018. It'll probably be similar to 2007. It'll have its share of challenges and trials. Now, I'm not a pessimist. Some may like to think, well, hang on, that's all doom and gloom. It's just the reality. That's how life is. 2018 will have uh, uh, pleasures as well. There's no, no, no question about that. It will have times of joy, but it will have its challenges. It's a reality. It's a reality that some people here may be diagnosed with cancer this year. That just happens in this world. It's a reality here that some people may lose their job this year. That just happens in this world. It's a reality that some of us may even suffer the death of a loved one this year. Now you might say there, you know, big challenge. They are big challenges, but that's what happens in this world. That's part of life in this world. And yes, also in 2018 there will be great joys that we will experience as well. And I trust and see that we will experience Christ in whole new, joyful and faith-lifting ways as well as those challenges that we will find, uh, find in 2018. So it's really vitally important that we prepare ourselves to take hold of the rest that Jesus calls us into. How will we do that this year coming then? How will we deal How will we see that rest come into our life? In many respects, the joys and highs are easier to deal with and easier to prepare for because they're just joys and they're highs and they just actually make you feel great. It's not difficult to prepare for them. But it's how will I deal with the challenges? They're not so easy to deal with. What if this year, what if this year was to be the year that maybe I lost my job? How am I going to deal with that? What will I do when the business gets into a hard time and people need to be laid off and I'm one of them? How do I find rest when I get a notice in my pay packet that says in four weeks your job will be vacant? How do I get rest in that situation? Here's what we do. We run to Christ and we run into his safe, loving arms and we find our rest in him. But you might say, Tom, well, how do I do that? I mean, Jesus is not here physically. How do I, you know, do I run somewhere and he just wraps his arms around me? How do, I, how do I run to Christ and find my rest in him? How does this happen? How does this look? One thing to say it, but what happens? The answer is that we do it by faith. True, Jesus is not here physically. I can't sort of run to the back of the room and say, Jesus, I've just lost my job. What's going to happen? But I can run to him in faith. I can do it by believing and trusting in who he is and what he has said. Well, you might say, well, how do I do that? How do I sort of trust or how do I believe or how do I actually do that? How do I run to Christ by faith? The answer is we do exactly what Jesus commands us to do in this passage. He says there, take my yoke upon you, verse 29, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We take the yoke of Jesus Christ, but we accept him as our Lord and our Saviour. And we submit willingly to his loving lordship over our lives. By faith, we accept and believe who he is. And then we go and we learn from Christ, as he says there, and learn from me. We learn from Christ by feeding upon his teaching. 
And we allow his teaching to saturate our heart and then we see his spirit breathe new life and breathe rest into our souls as we learn from him by taking his yoke upon ourselves. And what do we see there? We see this faith-building freeway that pours grace into our lives and there we find rest for our souls. It may look like this when it comes to perhaps uh, losing a job. The boss says, hey, we've lost that next contract. You know, we really were pinning our hopes on the next contract to keep the work going. So we're going to have to start to lay some people off. You're sitting in the office and your number comes up and the boss calls you in and that's exactly what he says to you. When you sit there in the chair initially, it's like the, the wind is taken out of your sails. You're breathless. You feel sort of numb. You feel motionless. How am I going to find my rest in that? What am I going to do? I'm going to run to Christ and I'm going to hear him say this to me. In Romans 8, 38, 39, it says this, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when I hear the boss say to me, Hey, we've lost that next contract your job finishes up in four weeks, I run to Christ and I say, nothing can separate me from the love of God. Neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else, nor anything else, including job losses, in all of creation will be able to separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's where we begin to find our rest, as we learn from Christ and we apply that to our hearts. See, that's the key for 2018, to enter into the rest that God calls us into, that Christ calls us into. It comes in two ways, by submitting to Christ as our Lord and Saviour and then learning from Him, learning from Him and by faith allowing that to build in our hearts and our lives. Here's a great resolve then for 2018 to apply that to our lives. Get stuck into the Bible. Get stuck into the Bible, get stuck into the learning from Christ, from his word, and you will see that faith grow. You will see that strength grow in your heart, you'll see that come into your life, and you'll see that. So when the challenges of life come, instead of blowing us over, it may blow us back a little bit when we first have the challenge, but then we're able to steady ourselves because we stand upon the promises that Christ has given to us, that nothing can separate us from his love at all in this creation. And then we can take hold of a promise that Jesus makes here in Matthew 11. As he says here, Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you submit to Christ in that way, you can build your life on that. You can build your life on that. And nothing will knock you over. Absolutely nothing will knock you over. You will have foundations that you will be anchored to that will keep you through the most severest challenges you may find this year. And what you will find in that is you will find the sweetest pictures of Christ ever in those times of challenge. You will find the rest that he breathes into our soul and you will find that the sweetest thing. Let's pray. Father, today, thank you. Thank you for the rest that you breathe into our hearts and into our souls. And thank you today uh, that, Lord, this is 
uh, a promise that we can stand on. Lord, we stand here on the last day of 2017 and Lord, we don't know what's in future for 2018. But we do know, Lord, that uh, whatever challenges there may be, that Lord, you are with us and you've called us into this rest and that, Lord, you've called us to be submitted to your Lordship and as the master of our lives and we can do this with confidence in you, Lord, knowing that you are gentle and lowly of heart and that, Lord, you are with us through those challenges to help us to stand and, Lord, to help us to keep looking to you. Father, we pray that this year coming forward for us, that it will be mixed with both joys and these challenges. We pray that in these joys we will not lose sight of you as well, Lord. It's so easy for these joys to, uh, as it were, get caught up in them and forget about the joy giver. So, Lord, as we take this mix that lies before us, I pray today that you will help us to be anchored, absolutely anchored to you. Uh, Doing this, Lord, through uh, coming to the Scriptures and allowing your Bible to fill our hearts and our lives and allowing your Spirit to take that Word and bring it alive in our hearts, that, God, that builds us with deep foundations in you and builds, Lord, great joy in following you, even in those challenges, Father, we see that sweetness of that joy come through. Help us to do this as a church, Lord, I pray. Help us to see, God, you've called us together as a body of Christ to do it together that we don't take these challenges on our own, that, Lord, we can share these challenges with the body of Christ. And, Lord, that's exactly why you've called us to be a body. So I pray, help us there, Lord, also to bring those challenges to each other and to stand with each other through that, to share those challenges, to share those joys with each other as a body as well this year as well, we pray. Father, we thank you today for the blessing of that, uh, that word. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will... Uh, Uh, embed that deep within our lives. Uh, Lord, we ask that. We pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Caleb, if you want to lead us uh, in a song to finish. Catch up with anybody post-service. If you want some prayer or um, just a a talk about that, we'd be uh, more than happy to do that. And just want to say... uh, Welcome to Blaze too, Blaze. I should have done that before. Blaze is uh, back with us for a couple of days. We're visiting folks, so welcome, Blaze. Thank you for being with us, mate.